Hey. Imagine, if you would, a land in which we can go from the hot zone to the cold zone in just 10 minutes. And you can do that. You can live in this world if you go with the hybrid decon. But you don't have to just imagine it anymore because if you want to, you can go and see almost any of the conferences that First Line is going to be at starting with Hot Zone in 2003. Uh, 23, but yes, uh, enhanced decon system has everything you need to safely evacuate your team. It doesn't matter if you got 6, 12, 200 people on your team, 200 people on the rig. It doesn't matter. So go to one of these conferences, right? Don't take our word for it. Don't take the fact that this is the decon system that is literally taking over the country. Go visit Reggie Norton from First Line uh, if you want to as soon as Hot Zone in 2023 and discover how hybrid decon and their EDS kit can absolutely revolutionize your safety protocols. And also just go over to firstlinetech.com slash THMG to let them know how you got there. Speaking of getting there, have you talked about training in a while? Why would we want to do this? Why would we want to talk about training, Bob? Well, because when when the hazmat guys are on scene, we are bringing experience and not just plain, boring training. So when we come, we desire we we do not have any courses that are designed years ago. Every course is updated, fresh takes, emergent trends. Doing this takes time and effort, but it's worth every single moment. And we don't just bring ourselves uh, to the trainings. We bring the latest in the technology. Uh, we partner with other companies to give props, technologies, devices, and every opportunity to make everything as realistic and up-to-date as possible. Yeah, so go to thehazmatguys.com slash hire us. Don't let your potential go untapped. Come and check us out and uh, up your game. Travis is calling me. I got to call him back. <laughs> All right. We'll pick it up. So, it would be a great no, conversation. That would be very funny. That would be hard to start it on air with a conversation. Uh, <laughs> I am uh, I am like falling apart. I'm I'm pulling my hair out. We are creating. Uh, for all of you out there, we've alluded to this a couple of times. We are seriously recording like three to four hours a day. Do you know how exhausting that is to be yeah. this chipper? The- it, the only other person who's created so much in so little time did it in seven days, and you right. can read all about it in, in, in other books. And we're not even taking days of rest. We're just no. going through. No, we're not. <laughs> Damn it, <laughs> I want my Sundays back. <laughs> nope. <laughs> yeah, it's been, it's been a busy uh, last couple of weeks, but when we crack this nut open, you are going to – it's going to blow your hair back. So Yeah, I, I honestly um, feel like we're – Legitimately, I feel like we're revolutionizing the online learning experience. Um, We've definitely, uh, I feel like we've upped the ante, we've upped the interaction, and people are going to walk away going, you know what, I don't really want to sit in front of a computer screen, but if I do, this is how I want it to be. Yeah, so... More to come on that one. Um, just to get a couple things out of the way. The Has Not Happy Hour, fourth Thursday of, of the month, 1900 Eastern Standard Time. As always, specialists, come on in there. Let's have a, a crunch session. You can go to the slash happy. Um, and I, 
there are so many conferences and there's so many moving parts. We'll come back around for that. So, <laughs> okay. So we're not going to go through where they can buy no, us drinks. Nothing I, I like know. that. I know. I know. We have. It, a whole it's bunch. not even funny. There's like thirty going on next yeah. year. It's a lot. Yeah. It's a Suddenly, lot. everybody wants to do a conference. <laughs> but so. you know, there is actually there's so much more going on. Um, if I don't even know if we'll be able to listen to this show a year from now because I think World War Three is on the horizon. And right. with everything that is going on in the world, uh, I think it's time to kind of turn around and, and update a little of um, the the world of responding in in a uh, with the thought process of terrorism, right? right. And no matter intentional where you, gas releases, intentional gas releases. So um, came across if you if you aren't aware of it, the. Um, the Department of Intelligence puts out with the Joint Terrorism Task Force something called the First Responders Toolbox and was going through the First Responders Toolbox and they talk about knockdown gases. So I thought, well, what a great way to put some of these uh, topics together, formulate it in a way that talks about how we would respond to them, some of the chemical physical properties. And uh, so that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk a little bit about uh, knockdown gases and and they're kind of the, the party crashes of the chemical world, right? They're absolutely not here to play nice uh we might stumble upon them uh as a sneaky little troublemaker such as hydrogen cyanide hydrogen sulfide phosphine uh they decide to make that surprise entrance whether it's intentional or not um they are going to have a significant impact on you and your operation yeah we're not even get started on like the diy terrorists you know that what is it on hgtv I got to DIY. <laughs> oh my God, we should create that. That's just a good idea. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Real terrorists of New York State. Yeah. We're, they're like the mad scientists of the dark side. We're talking, they, they're making gases that they found on like a recipe online or uh, what the hell is that guy's name? Uncle Uncle Cracker? Oh, Uncle Fester. The old, Uncle Fester. The old, the old yeah. anarchist cookbook yeah. type stuff. Yeah. Like, they're getting this from like 16 steps down the road. So remember, folks, it's all fun and games until the knockdown gas crashes the party and takes you out at the knees. Yeah. So that begs the question, what exactly is a knockdown gas that we're talking about? And why are we even bringing them up on like a hazmat episode? And there's a few reasons for this. Uh, one is that it's not a topic that we talk about a lot. Yes, we talk about individual chemicals. We talk about chemical physical properties, but sometimes it's good to formulate these chemicals in a category so we can think about a common response. Um, these are sort of like in a category of toxic industrial materials, but like all toxic industrial materials, they can be used for nefarious purposes like chemical warfare agents, um, possible terrorist attack, or you come across them by accident. Uh, so with everything that's going on in the world today, we figured it would be a good thing to kind of chat about. Um. That's actually a f complete fabrication. We never thought about talking about knockdown gases <laughs> until we actually came across it in the forest responders <laughs> toolbox. So, all right, you called this me is out, us. Right? Yeah, this is us, kind of just like you know, parroting a little bit of information out there. But okay, all right. What are knockdown gases? Like we said, they are a set of type of toxic industrial materials, but they have a specific category which, if inhaled can cause an immediate loss of consciousness and possibly be fatal. Yeah, so we're going to focus on the three that are 
being put out by the intelligence community as the most probable to come across in case of a terrorist event. Again, they can come across in natural forms. We'll talk about it in natural forms, but we do want to uh, repro, not reprogram, because the people that came on to Hazmat after 9-11, man, we are programmed for terrorism. But the people that have within the past five to 10 years I don't think that programming is really there. It's kind of gone by the wayside. So, um, you know, we are all familiar with hydrogen sulfide. We see them in chemical suicides. We're kind of familiar with phosphine uh, as both an industrial uh, chemical and something that could be created with household chemicals. Hydrogen cyanide is super common in industry uh, and it sort of is readily available as a commodity, but we can also make it by readily obtainable materials. And the thing is, like, it's not just us as the responders or the hazmat guys or whoever might be that may be aware of the power and the potential of these knockdown gases to incapacitate or even actually kill people with relatively small amounts, which then puts the focus more into the nefarious category, which, to be honest with you, um, if we weren't talking about this for nefarious purposes or terrorist activity, the joint terrorism a counterterrorism assessment team would never have to actually put this information out. Yeah. So since they are, we're going to chat about it a little bit. Right. Figure we'll give you an education on on these chemicals, and we'll start off with hydrogen sulfide. Um, so one of the things that the Joint Terrorism Task Force is kind of interested in is to make sure that you can be aware that you are responding to a potential terrorist activity. And one of those is to understand signs and symptoms, right? Because that that is a way that we can say, oh man, something something's not right on this scene, right? We got lots of people overcome by different things. Being able to identify a sign and symptom and uh, specifically attach it to a chemical or hazard could go a long way in saving your life, especially when you're dealing with chemicals that can take you out in one breath. Uh, So what would be some of the health hazards of hydrogen sulfide? Well, in low concentrations, uh, they are an irritant to the eyes, nose, and throats. Uh, Hydrogen sulfide can cause mild irritations to these these areas, including like a a watery eye, runny nose, scratchy throat. We can start to develop some headaches at low concentrations. These headaches can go from mild to or non-existent to, to mild. And at some point, we can start to get upset stomachs, even at super low exposures. Right. And now, when we start moving up to moderate concentration, and I know somebody's going to be like, whoa, that's a moderate concentration. I don't know. Me neither. <laughs> like, it's like, relative. It's, it's relative. It's, it's kind of a thing like, okay, this is a medium dose. And so your respiratory symptoms now will have uh, the symptoms you know, intensify, leading to coughing, shortness of breath, and chest tightness. You're going to have some more GI distress like nausea, vomiting, and diarrhea may become uh, pronounced. It sounds like that, that commercial for, what was that, uh, Pepto-Bismol? Remember okay. the, 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 oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Upset stomach, diarrhea. diarrhea. Yeah. Yes. Good times. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> neurological exposure or effects, which is exposure to medium con- you know, uh, concentrations, would result in headaches, dizziness, confusion, and individuals may experience difficulty with coordination and muscle, which would now start to impair you for your escape mechanism Honestly, as, a, as a person. It sounds like me every morning when I wake up. Right. <laughs> I don't I don't understand what the difference is. 
<laughs> under high concentrations, you can have severe respiratory arrest, right? And uh, you would see this come through as uh, labored breathing, uh, rapid breathing, and altogether respiratory failures. Uh, at higher doses, you could see uh, seizures, right? So we start to affect our neurological signs and symptoms. Mm -hmm. We have cognitive inabilities like total loss of consciousness or confusion. Uh, you could see um, your cardiovascular system start to collapse at these high levels. A significant drop in blood pressure, shock, and complete collapse. Uh, total loss of motor skills, right? At very high concentrations, individuals are going to experience a total loss of of the, the, the things that allow us to do what we want to do, muscle yeah. weakness and paralysis. So think about this arriving on scene. You see a bunch of people exhibiting varying signs and symptoms of this. Even before you get off the rig, even before you get a meter in your hand, you could be thinking hydrogen sulfide. Yeah, and, and just the physical hazards. Um, first of all, toxicity. I think everybody listening to the show knows that hydrogen sulfide is a toxic gas, and that's why it's kind of on our meter. Um, but even exposures to low concentration of this can cause adverse health effects, and high concentrations can rapidly be fatal. Now, if we were to respond to a release outside, this probably isn't going to be the biggest deal, but it is important to keep in mind that H2S is flammable and has a pretty damn wide flammable ignition range where its LEL is 4.3 and its UEL is 46. So in areas where concentrations can build up, you got a pretty good chance of an ignition source, like a, a spark or a flame, making this thing go boom. Right. So one of the big things with the hydrogen sulfide, and, and this is kind of like a hallmark of it, is it has that distinct rotten egg odor, you know, but the threshold is very variable. People think it's, oh, you're going to smell it way before. There's a lot of individuality with these things, right? And so the odor is a useful sign, but not everybody can detect it. It's it's only like the, the what is it, the Mercaptan that they put in natural gas. There's yeah, a certain percentage. Your senses knock out. Yeah, there's a yeah. there's a there's a there's a whole uh, aspect of the of the population does not smell it, yeah. and so not everybody can detect it, especially at low concentrations. And then you might get that head fake where like, oh, it's it must be going away. And yet but you're right not. in the middle. In fact, this is such an issue. The Joint Terrorism Task Force has a note in this toolbox that says specifically this chemical odors are not a reliable indicator for detecting or determining the concentration levels of a hazardous gas. Breathing any toxic industrial chemical, even at low concentrations, can damage the olfactory nerves, rendering victims or first responders unable to smell the gas while the while the, the gas is attacking the body. An odor might be due to a single chemical or a mixture of chemicals. Chemicals vary in their ability to produce odors, and people vary in their ability to smell these odors. So we have to be very careful uh, with odors. I hear you, Mike. Do you hear no, me? Can I you hear, hear you. me clearly? Because I can hear. I have lawnmowers going off in the background, and it's really hard to hear you with all this noise. You know what? I bet you're using that Cavcom to talk through your ears 5000, which is the latest two-way radio accessory for in communications. And this is actually a really cool system. It's lightweight, compact, requires no batteries. It's powered by the radio that you actually have and is going to work with any of the SCBA ensembles that are out there. It is seriously the clearest communication device on the market, 
period. So talk through your ears. 5,000 keeps you required. Your required components to a minimum. All you need is your radio, Cavcom's oversized PTT control unit, and the universal fit set. It's that simple. So talk to Cavcom and get your ears fixed. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Did you add that get your ears fixed? That's awesome. No, I just completely made it up. the, the all right, so can can this is a good question? Can hydrogen sulfide, a gas, we all know that, can it be liquefied? Yeah, absolutely, right? So we can do things with uh, gases and we can compress them and store them as liquefied gases. So handling and storing the hydrogen sulfide in this form poses risks associated with cryogenic. So not only do you have a ton of this gas in a very small amount, but now you have that cryogenic stuff because once we start really making this uh, tighter and tighter, um, you make it cold, well, colder and colder on release. So these extremely low temperatures have the potential for frostbite and cold burns as well. This is this is a this liquefied gas thing is kind of a point that I'd like to touch on a little bit because if I were a terrorist, right, a lot of times we want to sit and we think, and I don't want to give any information out, not that anybody hasn't already thought of this stuff to begin with, but, right, we're going to talk a little bit about, like, the precursors for making this stuff. This podcast is rated number one among terrorists. Yes, yes. We are Inspire Magazine's number one (laughs) source of it. No, it is bad. bad. Uh, uh, no, I won't. I won't even go there. All right. So, but think about this, right? Like, if I was going to do an attack with a hydrogen sulfide, Bob, which would you prefer? A system in which I have to mix chemicals, get a limited chemical reaction with limited product that's released, or have a liquefied gas in a small container that I could release and have a huge um, uh, gas density ratio. Yeah, I could. I could get a lot of bang for my buck for a small thing. So don't discard liquefied gases. As first responders, we never come across hydrogen sulfide as a liquefied gas because we're always doing, you know, uh, chemical suicides. It's it's somebody mix this and that. Don't discard this as a possibility. Yeah. H2S is also reactive with a variety of substances, including metals, uh, and those metals can produce sulfide stress cracks, which can fail equipment and structures. So, you know, if you happen to be in an area where it's like, wow, why is this stuff here? There could be more to it than just trying to hurt people. It could be trying to hurt infrastructure, such as pipelines, containers, and other material. Right. And it also has uh, corrosive components. So it could uh, start degrading metals, materials, equipment damage, and degradation over time. And even think about this, guys, uh, the software such as us, and, so, and also the hardware such as your meters. Like, it'll, it'll affect them. It, it burns them out. Uh, it yeah. can be spontaneously combustible in some circumstances uh, where it can ignite uh, on contact with air, uh, resulting in fire or explosions. Right. And airborne and volatility. So this is really, it, it loves to distri- uh, distribute itself in the, in the air, making it very difficult to contain and uh, confine in, in, in air. So its volatility can lead to exposure risks over a very wide area. So you're going to have to get creative in pushing this stuff around because it's almost like pushing feathers. Yeah, and detecting it, right? We want to be able to know how to detect it. And one of the first things that we can do is odor recognition. Again, Mm -hmm. not for us. We're not telling you to use your nose as a meter. 
But if you do start to smell it, it's good to know what it smells like. And it has that rotten egg smell. And hydrogen cyanide, I'm sorry, not hydrogen cyanide, hydrogen sulfide has got a very, very, very low odor threshold. We're talking like 0.01 to 0.13 parts per million. Guys, that's way down. That's like what? 10 parts per billion to be able to smell this stuff. Incredibly, incredibly low. You're going to detect it long before your meters will. Right. That, yeah, right. The old not the, the nose meter is going to pick it up. Your IP is like 10 and a half ish. So you might start because it's getting to that line. I know everybody says 10.6. It's not digital. It's not like, oh, it got it at 10.5 and it forgot it at 10.7. It, it gets a fuzzy number around that thing. So your AP4C, if you are uh, lucky enough to have one of those things, that will pick it up. Your electrochemical sensor, your H2S, will pick it up. And something like a metal oxide sensor will pick it up just for the flammability component alone. All right. So let's say we are responding to a possible hydrogen sulfide incident. What kind of things would we want to look for? Or we're not responding at all. We just happen to be out and about and we start to see some things that don't quite make sense. What things should we be looking for that don't quite make sense? Well, we can look at the containers that many of the precursors would come in. We want to look mm-hmm. for bags, uh, containers, packaging, labels with these suspicious chemicals that would be the precursors for hydrogen sulfide, things like hydrogen sulfide salts, sulfur-containing compounds, uh, or any other sulfur-bearing material. I'm just writing down a, a little note here because this would be a good place to put uh, Mr. Todd Burton's uh, lab guide, and I, I, I think I'm going to attach this to this episode. So if you listen to me, go to the website and um, download this this chart. It's really worth it because the laboratory equipment and the precursors, if you start seeing these things, you can kind of figure out what kind of lab it is. And this is a handy one for you. But um, Mike's talking about the precursors, the actual chemicals. I'm talking about the lab equipment, the things that they are using to make the, you know, the, the, the product. Um, so if you start seeing laboratory equipment, glassware, containers that appear to have been used for chemical reaction involving sulfur or sulfur compounds, uh, that's a red flag. Yeah. The chemicals, right? So we talk a little bit about those precursors. Uh, we talk about the lab equipment. As we start to mix precursors uh, together, we start to actually get products of reaction, and you can get residue that is left behind on much of this equipment. So we want to look for evidence of chemical reaction. We want to look for the discoloration. We want to look for chemical deposits on surfaces to actually say, oh my God, a reaction has started taking place. Right. Something like like uh, sulfide salts, right? Sulfide salts, certain salts contain a hydrogen sulfide or a sulfide ion that can dissociate and release H2S when exposed to appropriate conditions. So if we do, uh, we add two things together that are pretty innocuous, we can get this gas that pops off. I don't really want to tell them how to make it. No, 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 no. There's plenty of, (laughs) there's plenty. But actually in learning how to make it, you also learn a little bit on how to neutralize it too, which, you know, we'll, we'll get into in a little bit, but uh, any of the sulfides, like metal sulfides, iron sulfides, copper sulfides, uh, they can release the the H2S when they react with acids and water. Uh, acid, there's your there's one of your keys in neutralization. 
Uh, this occurs extensively in industrial processes and lab experiments, even quite often naturally in just regular, you know, like uh, Yellowstone National Park has got sulfides that release all the time, just normal kind of geological settings. Yep. Uh, or any sulfur-containing organic compound, things that uh, what we call thiols, right? It's a sulfur-hydrogen um functional group and so if you start throwing acid on these things they could uh create not only can heat and other chemical reaction but hydrogen sulfide as well yeah and you don't just need organic there's plenty of inorganic materials yeah. that contain sulfurs as well such as uh sulfur dioxide uh, which is commonly used as a refrigerant uh sulfuric acid which is everywhere because almost every battery in every car contains sulfuric acid these can be used to process and create h2s and also everybody's crowd favorite because this is where this is why it's in the meter is for biological process such as low-lying areas in natural set settings such as like sewer treatment facilities uh, industrial bioreactors, uh, storm drains, etc., are famous for these things. And if I was really tied up to get my hands on sulfur-containing compounds, I could just combust fuels that have sulfur in it, such mm. as uh, coal, uh, petroleum products. When these burn, one of their byproducts is H2S. So if I were to figure out how to capture that H2S, I could then contain it, possibly cylinderize it, possibly liquefy it. Yeah. So one of the things that you got to kind of think about is, do we um, evacuate or shelter in place? And remember, whoever's making this decision out there, just to refresh you, it's about the duration, right? So if it's going to be a short uh, time, we're going to shelter in place. If it's going to be a long time, it's going to be evacuation. Uh, is that hard and fast? It's not hard and fast, but it's a good rule of thumb that'll get you in the right direction. Um, but your evacuation procedures should align with the situation. There's way too many parameters. We've done way too many episodes on this. So if you want to listen more about shelter in place or evacuation, go back and listen to those guys. But um, probably air dilution's the solution on this one. I would agree 100% because, uh, you know, we can't contain the, no. the sulfide. <laughs> no. Once it's out, right? It's with the, the, to... jo the joke is often like, <laughs> once you fart, you can't contain it. Now, the right. exception to that is a Dutch oven, um, ah. but we can't Dutch oven an entire city. Uh, that would just make the situation far, far worse. Uh, one of the things that we can do, though, is we can try to mitigate the chemical reaction that is producing the H2S, or if it were a liquefied release, try to stop that liquefied release. If we were going to neutralize it, we said before, a lot of times you just need a sulfur-based product. If you add an acid to it, you 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 liberate the H2S. Well, if we're able to uh, neutralize that acid, quite often we can stop the chemical reaction from happening. Although I will tell you, by the time we get to it, the reaction is usually pretty much gone to the wayside and you're really not doing much. Uh, but if the event was large enough, we could take it into consideration. Respiratory protection, uh, SCBA all the way. There's really no no particular reason to go anything else. If you yeah. had to go APR or a PAPR, you could just make sure that the container, the canister that you're using is able to filter it out and you are not above the ideal H. Chemical resistance, it's a gas with not much, um, you know, skin irritation. So we could do a lower level protection. 
However, if you're going to go ahead and neutralize some of that acid to stop the generation from happening, you need to consider the acid and the splash and the reaction involved with that in correctly choosing your PP. Nice. You know, before we go, guys, um, I just want to let you guys know about facing chemical spills, waste disposal, or environmental challenges. SMR Rapid Response offers expert solution. You can reach them in Virginia, Maryland, North Carolina at 800-248-5816 or smrrapidresponse.net. They're actually a resource that we reach out to quite quite a bit. They are. They're very good people there. Uh, Another group of really great people is the Industrial Emergency uh, Council. They are a non-for-profit led by experts providing diverse emergency response training for over 40 years. They collaborate with fire departments, public agencies, military, and the private sector. Uh, So visit IECtraining.org or call them at 650-508-9008 and tell them Bob and Mike sent you.